Well, this is week one, as you can tell, of Finding Faith in Rock and Roll, the Beatles edition. And uh, I was really excited uh, when this idea kind of popped. And if you've been around Renaissance for any length of time, you know the series, Finding Faith in Rock and Roll, has been done for years now. Uh, But when we kind of came into it and looked at this fall, we all kind of felt like, well, how do we give this kind of a new, like, uh, new angle uh, on this kind of classic series that Renaissance is known for. And someone threw out this idea, well, what if we just focused on one group, one artist, and just kind of walked through their songs? And uh, when that idea kind of locked in, I mean, the Beatles just became the, you have to. They're the greatest, uh, best-selling artist group of all time. Number one on the list, Elvis Presley, underneath them, Michael Jackson, Underneath them, Madonna, I mean, any great artist you can think of are underneath the Beatles. And I was really excited. I was like, oh, yes, the Beatles. And then I realized, uh, other than uh, going to see the Cirque show in Vegas called Love, I'd never listened to the Beatles before. I, I didn't even own their music. I was like, yes, the Beatles. I know nothing about them. And uh, I, I, grew up, I grew up in that era. And some of you will... will uh, Go back to memory lane with me on this, but I grew up in, in the classic musical era called the hair metal bands. You know what? Motley Crue, Little Guns N' Roses, Def Leppard. That was my era. And uh, I've never seen uh, guys wear that much hairspray before, but uh, I grew up listening to all of those bands. And so I was like, oh, I've never listened to the Beatles. So I've started. And uh, it's been fascinating for me because. Not only uh, is it great music, they literally shifted culture, impacted culture at that level, and impacted music, kind of the direction of music that we are still benefiting from today. For instance, they were the first group, first artists ever to do a concert in a stadium, 1965 Shea Stadium. First group ever. Now, think about it, right? Stadiums are filled up around the world. They were the first. And so today we're going to look at this song, this classic song, Help. And isn't that word just uh, such a simple word, but it says everything? You don't need any uh, descriptive words around the word help. You just say help and people get it, right? You're like, oh, you need help. You don't, don't even know any more about that. You just need, they need help. But why is it so difficult to say sometimes, right? It's such a simple word, but yet it's hard to say. Back in, uh, I think it was June, uh, our garbage disposal broke. And uh, I'm pretty handy around the house. And uh, so I was like, I'll replace the garbage disposal. That's easy. Went to the Home Depot, bought a new garbage disposal, came home. I was so proud of myself. I took it out of the box, took the instructions, and just threw them away. Don't eat them, right? I hardwired in the, the electrical. I, I hooked up the plumbing, turned it on. It worked first time. I was like, <sighs> my wife's like, are you sure you don't need the instructions? I'm like, I don't need the instructions. I know how to do, put in a garbage disposal. This is easy. I can do this. And so... Uh, Everything was working great, and I kind of patted myself on the back, kind of looked at my wife and gave her that look, like, you doubted me. Don't doubt. The next day we came home, walked in uh, the door, and the entire kitchen floor was flooded. 
I mean, water everywhere. And, of course, I did what any good husband would do. I looked at my wife and said, what did you do? <laughs> so I, uh, I got underneath the, 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 the counter trying to figure out, uh, how did I go wrong? Like, what, did, what happened? I quickly discovered something that the instruction manual would have pointed out if I would have looked at the instruction manual. You see, there's this, this drain tube that goes from the dishwasher into the garbage disposal. So when, once you run the dishwashing cycle and it wants to get rid of the dirty water, it has somewhere to go. Well, I hooked that up. That was all hooked up uh, fine. What I didn't realize was right inside kind of the wall of the garbage disposal where that tube hooked up, there was a piece of plastic that you had to knock out. Oops. <laughs> if I would have looked at the instruction manual, guess what? They had this big, like, star with an arrow that pointed and said, don't forget to knock this out. But isn't that, that's just us. I, I don't care you know, where you're at in life. It, it's difficult. We want to do it on our own. We want to solve our own problems. We want to find our way. We want to be uh, the masters of our own domain. We want to have control. We want to know that we can do it ourselves. And so when it comes to the word help, it's difficult. I love that line in the video when they said, we are resolved to see this journey through to the end and not ask for help. Asking for help would be admitting defeat and we shall not be defeated. Isn't that our attitude? We can control the things in our lives, and we don't need anyone else. We could spend hours talking through statistics, but I think you and I all know that our world uh, personally has issues to it, right? Like all of us in this room, we have issues. The people we interact with have issues. Our family members have issues. We live in a pretty messy world. I read this study uh, or this, this article this week, and this was the, the, uh, the title of the article. I loved it. U.S. Misery Index Rises to the Highest Since 1983. Yes, there's an official misery index. Isn't that great? Like the U.S. government has put out, there's a... A misery index. I didn't, maybe you knew that. I didn't know that. I'm, I'm so thankful that there's some person sitting behind some desk in Washington. That's their job. Hey, what's the misery index today? And they take two kind of factors. They take uh, uh, the jobless rate and uh, inflation. And just go, well, those are the two factors. If those rise, I guess we're miserable. So we all are miserable now because of that. I read this other article this week. It just came out that more, more than one in 10 Americans over the age of 12. Now, think about that for a second. Over the age of 12 are on antidepressants. Now, hear me out. I, I'm not saying you shouldn't be or that's bad if you are. So don't, don't, don't go there with this thought. But over the age of 12, that's where they draw the line. Since the last time they did the, the study, it's been about 25 years. So in a 25-year span here in the United States, that number has gone, gone up 
Like that alone, we need help, right? Emotions internally are out of control. Anxiety, depression, interpersonal issues, stress, trying to cope with what's going on in your world, my world, right? One in ten from age 12. The number three killer or cause of death in people 15 to 24 is suicide, number three. You're like, oh, it's number three. It's lower on the list. Well, number one and two is accidents and homicide. One in every 100 people in the United States have made plans to commit suicide. And out of all the suicides, 73%, get this, are white males. We live in a culture where we need help, but yet it's so difficult for us to say, isn't it? It's so difficult to reach out. It's so difficult to let people inside of our shell and say, no, no, really, I do need help. I can't fix this. There's a peace within me that's out of control and I can't control. There's something that I can't see, can't put my, my fingers on, and I need someone to help me figure this out. Lyndon uh, literally said, uh, that, that the whole album, Help, especially the, the, the song Help, was one of the most authentic uh, insights into his world at the time that he ever wrote. McCartney helped write a little bit of it at the tail end, but he goes, no, it was me pleading for help because my entire world was out of control. Right? He was at the pinnacle of success. I mean, they were known around the world Notoriety, fame, power, money, they had it all, right? And so many times in our lives, right, we say if we make more, if we rise up to a certain level, if we have that much more leadership, if we have that much more success, if I get more of this, whatever that might be, if I hit this level, then my life will settle settle down. Then I will be able to figure it out. Then things will come underneath under control. Then, and guess what? Lyndon was sitting at the pinnacle of it all. He had it all, and he was screaming out for help because his world was out of control. So today, we're going to look at the Bible. It's a good place to go to get help. And there's a story that we're going to spend a few moments looking at. It's in Exodus chapter 17. And I really think it gives us this, a couple really simple steps that all of us can walk out of here today uh, and kind of live by, to follow by. Because all of us, I don't care who you are, we all have something within us that we need help with. To what degree, to what intensity, I don't know, you know. But we all have something. So here's the story. The Israelites finally have broken free from captivity of the Egyptians, from Pharaoh's control. They had spent years and years and years under captivity. They are beaten to death, worked to death, starved to death. And they finally made their way out of captivity. Moses was this uh, amazing leader or more of a reluctant leader that led the Israelites out. And this is kind of the first moment that we kind of find them outside of captivity. And this is where the story picks up. While the people of, Israelites were, uh, of Israel were still at Rephidim, the warriors of Amalek attacked them. 
Moses commanded Joshua, choose some men to go out and fight the army of Amalek for us. Tomorrow I will stand at the hill, top of the hill, holding the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did what Moses had command, commanded and fought the army of Amalek. Now, several important things are going on here. First of all, this is literally the first battle, the first war that the Israelites have fought. It's the first one. Now, you might be thinking, well, how in the world did they break free from Pharaoh's uh, captivity? How did they get outside of his control? How did they fight his army? Well, up to that point, they didn't. They didn't fight. God did. Get this. I've, the Bible's, there's just hilarious moments for me. This is one of those hilarious moments. Just a few chapters before, the, the Egyptians are chasing them down. And get this. But Moses told the people, okay, Moses, the fearless leader, right, that God had chosen to lead the Israelites out of captivity. Moses said this, don't be afraid. <laughs> the most powerful army of that time is chasing them down. And Moses goes, oh, don't be afraid. Funny, it gets better. Just stand still and watch. Could you imagine being one of those people? Like, they beat us to death. They're coming after us, and you want us to stand still and watch. Oh, that's going to be great TV. But watch the Lord rescue you today. The Egyptians will see you today. Will never the Egyptians you see today will, will uh, today will never be seen again. The Lord Himself will fight for you. Just stay calm. Up to that point, guess what? God did all the fighting. It's a pretty good gig. God fought. They, st- they sat back, kicked up their feet, drank a cup of coffee, and just enjoyed the show. But here in chapter 17, for some reason, I don't know if God went to Moses and said, Moses, no, now it's time for you guys to do something. Or if Moses just said, hey, maybe we should do something. But that moment, they decided we better fight. Well, those they were coming against them were the Amalekites. Now, this is interesting. Amalek was the grandson of Esau. Okay? Amalek started this clan, this tribe called the Amalekites. Okay? So Amalek's uh, grandpa was Esau. And there's a story in the Bible about these two brothers, Jacob and Esau. Maybe you know about the story, maybe not. It's a great story to, to read through. But the short, short version, basically, there's this sibling rivalry between Jacob, the youngest, and Esau, the oldest. And through the series of events, Jacob stole the birthright from Esau. Esau was the oldest brother, the oldest boy. Stole it. Or you could look at it that Esau gave or or sold the birthright, right? And so think about that intensity, right? Two brothers in himself, that's an intense relationship, right? But now that one took the birthright away, there wasn't a lot of love lost there, right? They didn't like each other. And so through the generations, there was probably the separation that occurred. God blessed Jacob, and out of Jacob came Israel, God's chosen people. Do you think that made Esau like Jacob more? And so out of Esau came all these other clans, and one was his grandson, Amalek, the Amalekites. And then at the precise moment when they had freedom, guess what the Amalekites did? 
They attacked. I wonder how long they've been waiting to attack. I wonder how long they were sitting back going, man, as soon as the Egyptians are done with them, we're coming in after them. And so they did. My question for you is, what's the battle you're facing right now? Not are you. What is it? How intense is it? How much does it have control over your life? What's the addiction in your life right now that maybe no one knows about? And you wake up first thing in the morning and it's staring you right in the face because it hasn't gone anywhere. And you fight all day long through your addiction. And you finally close your eyes to sleep. It's the only reprieve you have until you wake up the next morning. Maybe it's your marriage. Oh, on the outside, it's all smiles. Come to church, smiles. You go to that social function, smiles. You go to a game, smiles. But as soon as you walk into the doors of your house, the battle rages. Maybe it's a parenting deal. Maybe it's emotional scars from your childhood that you're still trying to unwire and figure out. And you know it's controlling more of your life than you want to give it credit for. Maybe it's a personality trait that's just splintering the relationships around you. Remember, the question, it's not about are you dealing with something, it's what. And at what degree and what intensity is it affecting you? Well, the story goes on. It says, Meanwhile, Moses, Aaron, and Hur climbed to the top of the nearby hill. As long as Moses held up uh, the staff in his hand, the Israelites had the advantage. But whenever he dropped his hand, the Amalekites gained the advantage. You see... In the next few verses, we're going to find two very simple things that Moses did to help him get through this battle he was facing, to help him lead not only himself, but the people that God gave him to lead out of this situation. The first thing is he found strength in God. His staff literally was an instrument of God. Back in uh, uh, chapter 4 of Exodus, it was this moment where God came to, to... to Moses and literally said to Moses, hey, that staff in your hand, take it, throw it on, on the ground. And when he did that, it turned into a snake. And then God said, hey, pick up that staff by its tail, or the snake by its tail. And when, you did, when he did that, guess what? It turned back into a, sna- into a staff. And God's words was, in verse 20, literally said that it was God's staff. It was his staff in Moses' hands. And so Moses used his staff as a symbol of God's power, not only in his life, but as he led the Israelites. And so Moses took this staff, and as long as it was above his head, they were winning. But as he lowered his hands, guess what? He started losing, and he had to shove his hands back up. Moses understood, first of all, that he had to rely on God's strength. He had to rely on God's strength. How are you relying on God's strength? 
there's this real uh, authentic moment in the book of uh, Corinthians. And Paul was writing this letter uh, to the church in Corinth. And uh, we see this real kind of like transparent moment. And I can just imagine Paul sitting there writing these words. And this is what he wrote. So to keep me from becoming more proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh. The literal translation is a pointed stake, right? I've always read that thinking, you know, like a little thorn bush or a a rose bush, right? Like kind of pricks your finger, like, ouch, that hurt. But no, it's a pointed stake in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. We don't know what that was. All the experts have kind of debated this this thought and no, no one really knows what was the pointed stake in Paul's flesh, what we do know, it was, it was intense. It wasn't this little thing on the side. It was at the center of his life. To the point where he said in verse 8, Three times I begged the Lord to take it away. Each time he said, My grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. You see, that's the issue with the word help. Is that word weakness, isn't it? Oh, we don't want to show weakness, do we? Weakness says that we can't handle it. Weakness says we can't become successful. Weakness says that we're not in control. Weakness says we can't lead. Weakness says, right? That's our culture. Oh, don't be weak. And that's why we don't say the word help. Because we've equated help to weakness. And what Paul was discovering, in his weakness, God was made strong. That he was strong because he had to rely on God's strength. He had to rely on God's wisdom. He had to rely on God. Well, Moses does something else interesting here. Not only does he have the staff of God in his hands, but he takes, takes with him two people, Aaron and Hur. And in verse 12, it says, Moses' arms soon became so tired, he could no longer hold them up. So Aaron and Hur, Hur found a stone for him to sit on. Then they stood on each other's side, on each side of Moses, holding up his hands, so his hands held steady until sunset. As a result, Joshua overwhelmed the army of Amalek in the battle. He brought two people to help him because Moses knew that he might, just might need someone outside of himself to stand beside him to help him when he became weak. Last September, uh, I started my car and uh, the battery, I could tell, was dying. In Vegas, it's very common for your batteries. They they just die because of intense heat. They just don't last very long. And so I've gotten used to that, that kind of feeling. So I went to start my car. I could tell that it, was, uh, it needed be, to be replaced. So I went to AutoZone, and I walked into AutoZone, and I was leaving town the next day. And I found this real nice guy, and I said, hey, I need a new battery. Can you test it? He came out, he tested it, and he said, yeah, you need a new battery. So I went back in, I bought the new battery, and I said, hey, is there any tools I could borrow? Because I just want to change it now. I'm not real car handy, 
but I know enough to be able to change my battery. He said, sure. He got me uh, some tools. I walked out to my car with my new battery. I took out the old battery, put the new battery in, slipped on both of the, the kind of the wires. I screwed them on. Everything was great. I walked around to my door. I got in my car. I went to start my car and nothing. I mean, not even, a, I mean, no, just nothing. I was like, how did I mess this up? So I got back out of my car, went back. I looked at it. I'm like, well, I'm just going to try to do the same thing over. I took them off, put them back on, screwed them back on, walked around to my car, went to nothing. I'm like, came back around. I looked at it again. I literally took out the battery, kind of shook it, thinking that might help, right? <laughs> right? We all do that, right? With your computer, if you hit your computer, it works better. You're like, yeah. I shook it. I put it back in. I put it back on. I screwed it on. Went around to my car. Went to start nothing. Then I did what, you know, classic. This is what we all do. All of us do this in our weak moments. We stand there, and I stood there over the battery and just stared at it. Because if you stare at something long enough, it will fix it. And I'm staring, I'm staring, I'm like going, uh, I don't know, I don't know. My mind's racing going, I, I can't be that guy to walk back into the store and say, I can't put in a battery. Right? I can't be that guy. It's, a ba- it's two wires, two screws. How, I can't mess this up, right? Sweat's pouring down my, my face. I mean, just pouring. I'm like, I, I got to. I made my way back in, found this nice guy, and I said, I, 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 don't, I don't know what's going on. I think you gave me a bad battery. <laughs> Couldn't be me. He walked out, and literally within seconds, he looked up at me smiling. This is the actual, this, this has traveled with me from Vegas here. A black plastic cap on one of the metal terminals. I thought it was just painted black. Right? I don't know much, but I know electricity and plastic. He popped it off, screwed down the two screws, and guess what? It worked. But you know what? In our lives, sometimes it's so... Difficult to see something so simple as that, isn't it? And that's why we need people in our lives who can help see something so ridiculous that creates so many issues. Moses brought Aaron and her with him. And he just didn't choose two random people. Aaron was his brother. Her was uh, married to... uh, his sister, they're two incredible men of God. You know, Lyndon, when he wrote the song, Help, he realized it wasn't just about anyone in his life. I mean, listen to the chorus. Help, I need somebody. Help, not just anybody. My question is, who do you have in your life that can help see this? Who do you have in your life that you can lean on? Who do you have in your life, like Aaron and her, that, see, that sees you struggling and will come beside you to help you in your greatest time of need? Who do you have? In 1971, after the Beatles disbanded, uh, Lyndon was kind of reflecting back 
And uh, in Rolling Stone, he, he was quoted by say, as saying, when you're drowning, don't say, I would be incredibly pleased if someone would have the foresight to notice me drowning and come and help me. You just scream. You just scream. Today, the challenge is simple. Rely on God's strength. The Bible's filled, read through the Psalms, filled about him being a fortress, a stronghold, a strength in your life. But you also need someone that when you scream help, they're there to walk with you. We're going to end, the band's going to come up, and we're going to end with a song. Paul McCartney wrote this song, literally, through one of the deepest, darkest times of his life. It was in the midst of all the fame and success that the Beatles were, were witnessing, that they were living through. But he found himself at a place that he didn't like. And he uh, wrote this song. And uh, he had a dream one night where his mother, Mary, came to him. And in that moment, he just realized that, you know what, the world can be crazy out there. But there's moments where you just realize that you just have to rest in the fact that life is going to be okay. And you have to just make your way through it. God's power is made great in moments of our weakness. And remember that you can rely on God to be a stronghold in your life. Lean on to him when you feel like you can't make it through. But also, make sure you surround yourself with amazing people that can help you walk through this life. God bless. Have an amazing week.